Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Thomas. So Matt is a sport performance coach and sports science coordinator at TC Boost, a private facility in the USA known for their speed and agility training. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your speed using training in the gym. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Matt onto the show. So Matt, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you back again. Nice to see you again and again, I guess. Third time. Third time lucky. This one's going to be the best one yet, mate. So uh, That's for, one. Those who didn't, for those who didn't listen, um, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Fantastic. So uh, ex-washed-up college baseball player, current speed performance coach and sports science coordinator. And where I'm going is anywhere doing speed, sports science, coaching, high-level athletes, kind of putting that all together. So in my in my free time or lack thereof, I enjoy making content, kind of long-form stuff like podcasts or my YouTube. Just like being on social media, talking good stuff with good people, like we're uh, like we're doing now. Absolutely excellent, mate. So obviously, your your niche at the moment is is kind of looking at speed and how to improve speed for performance. So can you give us a a really quick rundown as to why speed is important in sport? Fantastic. So uh, no coach has ever said my guys are too fast or my girls are too fast, right? So I just want to put that out there, but. Uh, all joking aside, so if we think about most team sports, is that's probably what most athletes do. So you have track where that's literally what the sport is. But most field and team-based sports, it's all about space and time. So if you're on offense, can you give yourself more space and more time if you're faster than your defender to give you or more give you more space to give you more time to do those sports-specific things? Pass, shoot, score, right? That's how you win. If you're on defense, you're trying to close down space by being faster than the other person to give them less time to do those things so that they can poorly execute a pass or a shot, turn the ball over, et cetera, et cetera. So if we frame this all as space and consequent time, us getting faster helps us do those sport things, which increases the chance of winning. Absolutely excellent. And obviously you can... Yeah, we, we, we've done podcasts on how to improve that performance with sprint-specific stuff. So um, I remember you, you've taken us through kind of a progression as to how to improve your sprint speed based on, yeah, like uh, either some, some running-based drills or some like technical stuff. But mm. I'm interested to hit how the, the gym then plays into that. So mm. obviously, you see a lot of, of top-level athletes in the gym. And they're going to do some exercises which are designed to improve their performance, including speed. So before we get into what kind of exercises are important to improve speed, can you give us a rundown of the physiological adaptations which underpin that speed which athletes need? Obviously, mm. with an eye on the, the gym side of things there. Mm, for sure. So so if we if we go back to this space and time, but more so focus on the time, that's one of the most unique constraints of sport, right? So a, a crazy heavy squat, a power lifter, one rep max is going to be what a three, four, five second effort. But if we're talking sprinting, your ground contact is like 0 0.1, 0 0.13 seconds, right? With the best in the world getting 0 0.08 seconds, right? So we're talking about being strong, but being strong in a super, super small time frame, right? So it depends on your, your definition of strength. But you know, in that ground contact, 0.1 seconds, you're getting four plus times your body weight, but the force is so high because the time is so small. So with that context of we have to be strong, it's just a different kind of strong. So being strong very fast. So with 
all athletic movements, there's going to be an eccentric stretch into a concentric kind of muscle action, right? And that's the, the definition of a plyometric is a rapid eccentric into a concentric. So if we take that lens into our weight room, well, what does the weight room provide that movement and just turf based stuff doesn't? Well, some sort of external resistance. So how can we be creative to challenge the athletes about the athlete's ability in their body to rapidly stop themselves and then get themselves going again, right? In that plyometric, eccentric, quick switch, concentric kind of action. So it's not to do sprinting in the weight room, but there's this awesome medium middle ground between the all out sprinting unresisted and the super crazy heavy stuff with a bar that's super slow. So somewhere in the middle where we can challenge the athlete's ability um, to go eccentric to concentric very quickly is the uh, adaptations that we're going for against just a, a little bit or medium load. And is there a place for the the really heavy barbell stuff? Is that is it something that could be considered? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so strength is the foundation for speed. And this is a, a question we'll get to later. Wink, I'll just uh, foreshadow uh, a little bit to the, the listener. And yes, there is. So whether it's an early off season or their training age is very, very low, and with all of this stuff, if, if we want to talk individualization, and this is a conversation we've had on staff for a little while, because we have a 1080 sprint and a lot of different technologies. Well, individualization doesn't mean if someone is deficient or really good at something, you don't toss the other thing completely out the window. It's just changing different ratios of it, right? So if someone is very strong, their RF max, not to get too far down this rabbit hole, but if they're really good with the numbers in the start of the sprint, so they're pretty strong. Well, you don't abandon the heavy running. You don't abandon the heavy lifting. They just don't have to spend as much time on it, right? So all of this stuff, if we're trying to introduce these more speed-oriented movements in the weight room, we're not abandoning the heavy lifting. We're just changing the ratio from like a 50-50 to maybe like a 25-75. So you, you have to use it or lose it, right? So we're going to use it, but can we just change that ratio into a little bit more kind of speed-oriented kind of uh, blend? So that's then basically assessing the athlete and trying to work out where they can make the most progression and kind of moving towards an emphasis, which is going to improve them the most as such. Yeah, because getting stronger will help for sure. Um, but when changing that ratio would be even more beneficial, that's when, that's when you would consider it. Excellent. Excellent. And, <clears throat> excuse me. So when, when we're looking for those adaptations, so for example, maximum strength to underpin, um, then some plyometric type adaptations. Uh, how do we how do we get them right? So how, what what kind of things are we going to need to do in order to achieve the physiological adaptations which you've just outlined? So in in general, less weight is more weight, and less reps is better in the in the long term, right? So if we go back to sprinting in general. We're just trying to hit our 95% plus. So when you're sprinting as fast as you can, can you basically almost hit a PR? Can you only run 5% slower? That is fast enough, that is high enough intensity by Charlie Francis to cause, to challenge your speed and consequent cause adaptations, right? So when we're in this kind of speed mindset, more weight isn't always better because that gets us farther away from what we're really trying to do, right? So for example, with uh, as an ex-baseball player, a baseball is five ounces and a bat is 30 ounces-ish if guys are swinging 33-30s, less than two pounds. Well, do we really have to go heavy? Like the heaviest med ball we have is 12 pounds. That's already over six times the weight of a bat, right? 
and however many times that is of, of a baseball, right? So it's like, you can get a lot more value out of sticking with the two, four, six pound med balls than always only going heavy because it's the weight room, right? So just keeping, keeping in context, what are we, what are we really training for? So just to keep that kind of context of less weight is probably more effective and less reps is better. So we can keep that output high. If we can challenge the athlete's ability to get near their ceiling, right. Of speed of jumping, whatever it may be. Um, then just pounding volume is probably not, not the answer. So with this rapid eccentric concert, concentric kind of idea the box is going to be huge because uh i'm not a rocket scientist but gravity is undefeated always has been and probably always will be so whether it is a drop variation into a jump so a drop into a stick in a phase one a drop into a bounce out phase two a drop into a vertical a drop into a broad jump a drop into a lateral bound how do we overload that eccentric and that's not even using any weight that's just using gravity and in, in your body or jumping up onto a box, a bunch of different variations. So it could just be a stand, drop to jump. You could jump over a hurdle onto the box. Uh, med balls are huge because they have the ability to be thrown, right? To really emphasize that all out um, effort because you can't, you know, chuck a dumbbell. It's probably not going to go very, very well or a barbell. So <laughs> your um, facility manager is not going to be very impressed at least. Yes, I'll, I will save you a few hundred bucks uh, right now. Do not chuck. <laughs> Uh, dumbbells. Um, so it's that awesome medium ground. If we can get some resistance, right? If anyone's trying to throw a 16 mount med, med ball as high as they can, it's definitely a little bit harder than you think, right? But then it also fits well in that middle ground of those lighter ones, two, four, kind of six pounds. Uh, any sort of weighted jumps, I think is, is, a, is, a, is a good option. So it can be just bear hugging that 16 mount med ball. It could be just if you're in a hotel and only goes up to um, you know, let's say 50 pound dumbbells. If you're just holding one goblet style, if you're holding two 15 pounders, again, less is more kind of with this stuff. Um, and I think a, a big opportunity is with the hip flexors and ankle stiffness. So if we come back to sprinting is that's the, the foundation of speed or the, the main movement that we're going for. So there's two parts of sprinting, ground time and air time. So ground time, we have to be strong in that super, super fine window. And in my opinion, ankles and ankle stiffness is probably one of the weakest links of most athletes, because if you think about most weight room exercises, they're going to be targeting the quads, the hammies, the glutes, right? Well, what about everything below the knee? So if that's the weakest link, you're only going to sprint as fast as your ankles can handle. So whether it's just holding a 10 pound plate and just getting a little bit more of your extensive plyometrics, getting a little bit more volume in or whether it's doing a 18 inch drop to a 30 inch box and measuring the ground contact, that's going to go such a long way. And especially those field athletes like baseball, softball that are in heavy cleats in grass, they'd never get any sort of high quality ankle stiffness work kind of ever. Right. And then on the flip side, uh, hip flexors, and, and this has been a recent development of my own kind of fascination. So although we know ground time, if you make that faster, then you get faster. But airtime has this inverted U relationship of more airtime isn't better when it turns into a little bit more of like a bound or a jump. So it's definitely this optimal of not enough airtime, but there is too much airtime. So in this finite window of kind of Goldilocks, how can you recover your leg faster to set you up for a nice ground contact? 
So that's where you can do things like hanging legs, hanging leg raises, standing leg swings. You can overload with just a half pound, one pound ankle weight and stuff like that. Um, so we can even break it down into ground time and air time and sprinting. And how do we get, get stronger in those windows kind of in the weight room? Um, so those are just a, a few examples and a few kind of concepts of how to actually apply this in, in the weight room. Yeah. So obviously you've, you mentioned there are a few different exercises. Um, are there any other kind of either types of exercises or specific exercises that you think are really high bang for buck things, which, which athletes could and should be doing to improve their sprint performance? Yeah. So I think any sort of, uh, repeated movement has been another, um, kind of light bulb of recent. So there, there aren't too many sport movements that are just one offs in isolation, right? A lot of movements are connected together. So even a swing, right? You swing, you got to drop the bat and then get going all together. So, um, doing a double broad jump or a triple broad jump or multiple kind of hurdle variation patterns, a lateral jump into a linear, into a box. So these things where an athlete can't just sell all out because it's just one jump and one land where they have to reorganize very quickly, I think is a, is a super athletic and impressive skill being able to coordinate multiple things, whether it's all out, whether it's 75% effort, if it's a little bit more ground contacts. And again, like just jumping four times in a row, holding dumbbells, just a regular squat jump is a little bit harder than it sounds. Right. And I think you would be surprised how quickly putting multiple movements together kind of rhythmically does expose athletes and then being, being creative in giving them some light loads, giving them a med ball into a throw, into a run, or just a variety of different hurdles. So I think um, you got to be jumping against a little bit of resistance, right? Less is probably more. Dumbbell-wise, probably don't have to go heavier than like 35-pound dumbbells in that what, 15 what's that, to... What's that in uh, English? Oh, kilos. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. The states are so annoying. Uh, hey, just divide I, by... Yeah, you had me early with like uh, cleats and inches. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> uh, probably, probably no heavier than 15 kilo dumbbells. Okay, it's cool. probably the heaviest you have to go, you know, um, because you can you can do just one jump, you can do repeated jumps, you can do a drop into a split squat jump, and different mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, so probably no heavier than 15 kilo dumbbells. Um, so I guess a med ball probably no heavier than five, six, seven kilos is probably the heaviest. And then any sort of repeated athletic um, plyometric multiple type jump variations, whether it's just using turf, whether it's hurdles and boxes or anything like that, I think would be a, a great place to start. Absolutely excellent. So obviously to bring this all together, I think it's it's really important to yeah discuss what a training program then might look like because we've gone through mm -hmm like the, the reasons why, the physiological stuff, how we get those adaptations and the exercises we can use. But can you walk us through then a session which you might use in the gym to improve sprinting performance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so again, kind of going back to how this is just adding stuff in, maybe taking or changing the ratios, right? So, so I'll, I'll give a, a baseball kind of example. Um, as I was getting, getting in with, with my college baseball group last night, so if we think about, you know, just there's an A1, A2 first block, you got B1, 2, 3, and then C1, 2, 3. It's a typical kind of um, that's, that's setup. That's exercise for, order for people who aren't familiar with that. So like A1, yeah. A2 is a superset. Yeah. So you put, you do A1, the first set, A2, the second set, and you go back to the top, 
and we'll do like three or four rounds of that and then we'll move on okay so so if uh a1 is going to be a rotational type med ball throw and a2 is going to be a shoulder care exercise just pair those things together help bridge the gap between the movement part of the workout and then now the lifting part of the workout right somewhere kind of in the middle and then b1 is going to be your main leg strength b2 is going to be some sort of this uh jump plyometric med ball throw something kind of like that and then b3 is either going to be uh like a lateral jump something a little bit more baseball specific or getting in another dose of our um another dose of our uh rotation just to get a little bit more for our baseball guys and then c3 or sorry and then c1 is going to be your push upper body c2 your pull upper body and then c3 could be a core it could be an ankle stiffness or something else kind of just to fill that gap if it's a position player someone who um plays the field and runs and hits probably going to toss in something a little bit more speed specific if it's a pitcher although they do have to run and they are athletes for the record pitchers are athletes don't let anyone tell you otherwise i'm not biased or anything uh you could get another dose of that shoulder care or stuff kind of like that so you know that's two that's eight exercises you know two or three of those were a little bit more speed speed specific so again we're not turning a regular lifting session into just speed only speed but can we turn one of eight exercises into three of eight that's going to add up over the course of three or four or five lifts a week right um so we have our skeleton as i i didn't really give specifics in that example as we kind of talked about specifics earlier but again shifting from one of eight to three of eight not turning it into eight of eight right i would be more more impressed can you hit three of eight over four days a week over three months that's going to cause the change not going seven of eight and then you know your your calves are crazy sore and then you tweak something because you're just doing too much too soon um so just understanding what a ratio kind of looks like right just shifting a few exercises uh goes a, a super long way over a long period of time and when when you're looking at things like sets and reps within that obviously mm-hmm. yeah that i i completely understand the exercises and the potential choices to why you do that but the, the sets and reps are going to vary within that too, right? So if you're doing a, a lower body strength exercise, it's not going to be the same as a, as a rotational throw. So can you talk us through mm. how that might vary mm. to hit the physiological targets, which you mentioned earlier? Mm. Yeah. So, so with, uh, I will use a, a sprinting example as this was a very insightful conversation with an ex intern of, of mine, who's now a college strength coach. And we were talking about flying sprints as obviously that is one of the best kind of bang for buck speed exercises there is and he was talking about you know just how many and i said if you were doing fly fly tens with an athlete fly 10 yards not meters uh when would you start holding your breath of like that might be too many reps they might be getting tired the risk of injury might be going like how many reps and he said probably in that five or six range and i said i totally agree four is probably the most that we ever do and if we get to five it's a very specific circumstance that i would let them do that right So whether it's you logicking your way through this, or I think there's a lot of value in feeling it yourself. If you're trying to do five med ball throws as high as you can, like a a med ball granny throw, throwing it up as high as you can, don't catch it. Um, (laughs) uh, Learn that, not the hard way, but every little thing like that, I tell my athletes, there's usually a story for it. (laughs) So don't catch your med ball granny throws. You know, when would you start getting tired? When would you feel like your output goes down? Probably around that four or five range. 
So with all of our, and same thing with our med ball throws. So I don't really go more than four per side because that's eight total, you know, trying to crush 10, 12, 15, 16, all out med ball throws without like a long period of rest probably isn't very realistic. So with all of our jumps, it's going to be in that three to five range, med ball throws per side and that three to four per side range, stuff like that. Um, your box jump ish variations again, in that kind of three to five range, and we can still get volumes. You can still progress that over time, but that's going to be adding a set, right? That's going to be just adding one kind of bonus exercise at the end, as opposed to turning a set of five into eight. And you know, where do you go from there? How do you progress that over time? Right. Um, and then with the regular lifting, that's going to be, you know, if it's heavier, three, medium, five to eight, if it's an accessory kind of exercise that 10 to 15, um, but less weight is more weight and less volume is more volume. So in general, kind of five or less, if I had to sum it up. And how would that differ then from the, the strength exercises that you do? Would you also be doing similar sets and reps for the strength exercises or would you be varying that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So strength, um, as there is going to be a little bit more kind of variation in the intensities. So the, the jumps and the speed up exercises are probably going to be all out unless it's like a volume extensive plyo at the end of the workout, like a, a 10 yards of ankle hops or something kind of like that. So because you can be a little bit more specific with programming or lifting intensities, if we just talk reps in reserve or rating of perceived exertion, uh, you can progress that over time with, hey, you should have three reps in the tank on this one, and then two and then one. Well, for your speed exercises, it should all be all out 100% effort. Um, so you can get a little bit more reps with the lifting, uh, not to turn into bodybuilders, but if we're trying to be athletic, if we're trying to get strength, as it's the foundation of our speed, um, it'd be hard to argue with me kind of going over eight reps, unless it's like an accessory exercise at the end end. So for your main strength, for your RDLs, your back squats, front squats, your heavy lunges, stuff like that, um, eight, eights and under. Absolutely excellent, mate. So have you got any other top tips sprinting wise? I know we've, we've covered a lot of sprinting stuff previously, mm. but for those who haven't listened to those podcasts and to give them a little bit quick taster, what do you mm. think are the, the key pieces of advice you would give to athletes to improve their sprinting speed, not just in the gym that we've discussed today, but obviously on the, on the court track or field as well? Mm. For sure. So uh, the first thing you can do is subscribe to Matt. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 but it's true. Like. I mean, like I post sprinting content, but um, so I, I think the biggest thing is just understanding first speed can be trained. But second is it takes a super, super long time. You know, the, this past summer I had a college baseball player. He wanted to get his 40 down over, what was it six, seven weeks? Then he went from a 7.4 hand time to a 7.4 in lasers. So he did get a little bit faster, right? And then I told him the, the, his actual ex-teammate, his 60-yard dash time went from a 7.2 to a 6.7, which is like a pretty decent improvement, starting with a pretty fast time to a very fast time. But then I said he was in training for two, two and a half years, two or three days a week, even being in season, right? So I think the biggest predictor of success with stuff like that is um total weeks trained not necessarily like total workouts um if you crush a bunch per week but only for a few weeks um so you can get faster it's going to take a little bit longer than me or you would want admittedly um but learning how to um 
there's three ways of getting faster. You have to hit the ground well, think about your mechanics. You have to hit the ground hard. So think this is your force, your ankle stiffness, kind of the things we've been talking about, but also you have to put it all together, right? So one of the other unique things about sprinting is it's cyclical. It's over and over, stride, stride, stride. You know, the, the shortest run, 40 yard dash is gonna be, I don't even know how many strides that is. A lot, a lot more than one for sure. Um, so just understand that there's three ways to get better. Um, you got to look good doing it. You got to hit the ground hard and well, and then you got to put it all together kind of rhythmically. Um, yeah. So that's my two cents on, on speed. See, fantastic mate. And that leads us nicely into a link in the show notes for your other podcast. Cause I know you cover some, uh, some more great stuff, um, on those topics as well. So Matt, massive thanks for your time and effort today. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find a little bit more about you? And hit that subscribe link if <laughs> for sure. So uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Coach Big Toe. It's a play on my last name. No, I do not have a very large big toe. Um, and then my, <laughs> well, my <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, you could do. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and then uh, YouTube, just at Matt Tometz. So I like talking good stuff with good people like yourself. So whether you're a coach or an athlete, just want to learn a little bit more. And I like giving back, you know, sports, whether it's as an athlete or a coach has done a bunch for me. Um, so that's why I, I do enjoy really making content and doing stuff like that. So th those are the, the main places to find me. And then my podcast is on my social, but that is the Talking Shop podcast. A little bit different, not really X's and O's, but kind of um, just more journeys and stories along the way of, of a very unique kind of profession and some of the really good people that have done it, people like yourself who have been on. Um, so something a, a little bit more about the journey of coaching. Absolutely. Excellent, mate. So Matt, massive thanks for your time and effort. It's been a pleasure and look forward to speaking again soon. Likewise. Likewise. Thank you. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Matt for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science Sport Coach Academy. Now, the Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses, which are broken down in bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more great speed development information, you can get yourself into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes in just a few seconds' time. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Sound Support, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>